Hey, if you're new to Sunridge, my name's Britt. I'm one of the pastors here, and I just want to say welcome. You know, if this is your first Sunday, um, you know, like the umpteenth Sunday, you can't even count how many you've stuck around at Sunridge, or you're just checking this out online. We're so thrilled that you're here, and uh, we hope that what we do today throughout our campus will help you take, and your family, if you brought your family, take, take your next step toward God. You know, uh, God's promises are... Uh, where human need and God's character intersect. I mean, our capacity to believe God is so fundamental that from the get-go, it was the evil one's plan of attack when he said to Eve, did God really say? He tried to erode the confidence that Eve would have in what God had said. The, The question ultimately is, is God merely a promise maker and not a promise keeper? Because if I can start to, if if the evil one can cause me to doubt God's word, then it, it isn't so long after that I'm doubting his existence. Or a close runner up, I may continue to believe in his existence, but not really live my life in a way that places confidence in what God has said. I think that that's where many Christians are living. You know, you cannot become who God designed you to be without full and explicit confidence in what he said. The Apostle Peter wrote in in one of his letters that God has given us these great and marvelous promises so that his nature might become part of us. Doesn't that sound like the Christian life, and Peter points out that it's entirely dependent upon our confidence in God's great and marvelous promises. You know, that's why uh, a few weeks ago and for this summer, we, we started this series called I Promise. We're just reflecting on a few of the promises that God has made and, and, and truly what they mean and what it looks like on human beings to place our confidence in God and his promises. And I can't think of one that would be more influential over the way I live my life or the way I interact with others or my perspective of my relationship between me and God than the promise that we're going to look at today. And it comes straight out of the book of Romans from the words of the Apostle Paul when he said in Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Now, there there are corrupted versions of this, and I hope to address this today, but for most of us, um, this is a struggle. And we, we tend to fall in two categories here when it comes to the no condemnation promise. Some of us Um, have a hard time acknowledging that we truly are sinners, that we're in desperate need of rescue, that that there may be some validity to potential condemnation. And then there are others of us that live on the other end of that spectrum where because we acknowledge our sin and our sin is ever before us, we just can never really believe that God has truly accepted us. And my hope today is to address both of those 
questions or categories because all of us have condemning voices in our heads. You're not rich enough. You're not thin enough. You're not strong enough. You, you don't have the right clothes. Your home isn't up to par. You're not smart enough. You don't have enough education. You are not uh, pursuing the career that you were made to pursue. You just haven't achieved the goals. It's like there's a constant barrage of condemnation that comes at us. It's, and many times it comes from others, but it also comes from ourselves. And the truth is most of us are listening to it in surround sound. We listen to the condemnation that both comes from externally, from people, and internally from our own head. And I can't think of anything that will influence how we live more than whether we believe that God is a condemning God or he is not. And on that note, I have good news and bad news, but we're going to start with the bad news. Is that okay? Wave your hand if it's okay to start with the bad news. Okay. Here's the bad news. Without condemnation does not mean without culpability. Without condemnation does not mean without culpability. What makes this promise so precious to me is that it doesn't deny that we're culpable. It doesn't deny our sinfulness. Our blameworthiness is real here. Because none of us in and of ourselves can stand before a perfect God and declare that we are righteous. Paul wrote in Romans 3.10, it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. That kind of sounds to me like there are no exceptions to that rule. The Bible says we're sinners. That's, that's not unloving. It's not cruel. It's a fact. Take, for instance, Jesus, who arguably was the most loving human being that ever walked the earth, right? Jesus acknowledged people's sinfulness. When people confessed their sinfulness before him, Jesus never denied that they were sinners. He was called a friend of sinners. Jesus never denied the fact that people are sinful. Then take Paul. Paul was one of the most religious and devout people we know about in history. And in the chapter before this promise, in Romans 7, he talks about his capacity to be controlled by evil, even though he's a follower of Jesus at this time. He talks about that he is a slave to sin and that there's a war that goes on inside him. And he concludes in Romans 7:24, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? I had a dream recently where I went to heaven and, and St. Peter met me at the gate and he, he was going to introduce me to some of the inner workings of heaven. And we went into this room and there was these things that at first I thought they were clocks because they were round and there was like an, a hand on it and it clicked every once in a while. All the clocks were clicking at different paces. And on closer examination, I noticed that there's a name on each one of these clocks. And so I said, you know, hey, Peter, are, are these like people's timeline? They're clicking more and more toward the end of their lives. And he said, no, these are sin meters. And they click every time that person sins. And so I saw some of your clocks up on the wall. 
And they were clicking pretty good, and, and yet I didn't see mine up there anywhere. So I said to Peter, you know, hey, I, I don't see mine. You know, I'm in the B's, I'm in the S's, I, I, don't, I don't see mine. And he said, yeah, some of the angels have that down in the basement. They're using it as a fan. <laughs> preacher jokes, man, those are preacher jokes. Sermon.com, you can find those. So listen, if you're having a little trouble stepping up to the fact that you're a sinner, I want you to consider a few things, okay? First of all, I want you to consider your past. Okay, so think about it. You have trouble owning this? That, so you're going to tell me there's, like, there's nothing in your past that should it become known today, you wouldn't be embarrassed or humiliated. No, no poor decisions. No other things we won't talk about. Consider your thoughts. Having trouble acknowledging your sinner? It's like, what about your thought life? You didn't have any lustful thoughts this week? Didn't have any mean thoughts or hateful thoughts while you're stuck in traffic on the southbound I-15 at 6 a.m.? No, no bad thoughts? Consider your failures. No, no failures recently? No moral failures? Even if just minor, you... You're not fudging a little on your numbers at work. You're not cheating just a little bit on your taxes. You're, you're not breaking the speed limit just enough that you know you can't get caught. You know, eight, eight you're great, nine, you're mine. I wonder if our CHP officers agree that that's true. Pretty funny if someone actually used that line. And men, it's like, I was only going eight miles an hour over the speed limit. You should let me alone. That's called confession right there. People are using court against you. So no failures? Okay. Let's talk about pride. You don't have any failures? Let's talk about your successes. Pretty successful in life. Kind of, you got plenty of money. You're doing good. Um, you don't get a little prideful about that success? Let's talk about being self-centered. Telling me that this week, this month, all of your decisions have been made for the benefit of others and mine. Never, never like said, you know, this, this one's going to be mine. I'm, I'm going to do what I want to do here. Like, this, is, this one's mine. Still struggling? You know that um, if you just commit three sins a day, the normal lifetime, that adds up to 80,000 sins. Yeah, so, okay, Mr. Positivity. I told you I was going to start with the bad news. And some of you say, yeah, but what about all my good deeds? I mean, I'm in church today. I coached Little League. I gave up a parking spot in Costco this week. I know that that's not true. Well, there's actually more bad news. So don't get up and leave. But there's more bad news because your sin cannot be offset by good deeds or religion. You can't offset your, your sin with good deeds or religion. See, dealing with our sin is not like carbon credits. There are no sin credits. Again, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 3.23, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Consider religion. 
Again, think about the Apostle Paul, who by every measure was a devout and very religious person. And prior to encountering Jesus, um, even though he was religious, devotedly religious, he still was bitter. He was filled with hate. History shows that he was a racist and a murderer. And if we're honest, we, we would say we would all acknowledge that religion has provided us some of the worst versions of goodness in all of human history. So religion isn't going to help us. In fact, that religious person, Paul, concluded this in Galatians 3:11, clearly no one is justified before God by the law. That is, the religious observance that he followed, the Old Testament law, it wasn't good enough. So if you're claiming a religion or a denomination, or, and he's like, that's, that's where my confidence is, it's not going to hold up. Then consider good deeds. You know, the truth is, the more truly good our deeds are, the more aware we become of our faults. It's kind of what Paul was getting at in Romans 3.20 when he said, through the law, we become conscious of sin. That is, when, when we evaluate ourselves in the light of the goodness that the law brings, it's like, it makes us more aware of our shortcomings. To be truly good is, is to be more refined about our goodness versus our badness. Paul, who we've already said was a very good person, felt that he was the worst of sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, This is a true saying, and everyone should believe it. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, and I was the worst of them all. So religion and good deeds aren't going to cut it. You see, we're culpable. No matter how good we are, no matter, no matter how religious we are, we're still culpable for our sin, but we're not condemned. Glory be to God, right? God has a way for us to deal with our sin. You see, and this is the good news, in case you're missing the transition, okay? Uh, Although the bad news is far worse than we thought, the good news is far better than we ever imagined. Can I just go back to the promise while you're writing that down? There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. The, the key here is those who belong to Christ Paul writes also in Romans 3.24, we are fully justified through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I love these words. These are great theological words, justified and redemption. I'm culpable, but I am justified. That is, justice has been served through the redemption, the trading of one thing for the other, Christ's death for our sin. Means that. Through Christ, there is no condemnation. You see, God agrees with the bad news 
We're sinners. And that sin is destructive to us. It separates us from God. It's ruining the fabric of our culture and our society. It has throughout all the ages, far more than we could ever realize, especially in our time. But through Christ, he brings redemption, the good news. Now, we needed to hear the first part. Because if we don't hear the first part, here's what will happen. We'll start to think that God accepts us because we're good. And if I start to believe that God accepts me because I'm good, then when I'm not good, I'm going to believe that God no longer accepts me. And when I am good, I'm going to believe that there, there are others that aren't. And somehow, I'm just a little bit better than them. And once we start to think that we're good, we're really just one click away from becoming a self-righteous Pharisee. Still having a hard time accepting not that you're a sinner, but that there is no condemnation because of Christ. My wife, Cindy, has a friend um, who talks about the, her committees these committees in her brain. Now, now, you may have a different name for that, but that's, that's that voice of condemnation that is constantly telling you, well, you know, you're just not good enough for that, and they, they think this about you, and it's like, and your brain is just constantly undermining your confidence in the no condemnation promise. And I think the Apostle Paul must have known, or he must have had enough dialogue about this, that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he addresses those committees that go off in our head in, in, the, in the way of four questions that he poses. And each, each of these questions that Paul gives us near the end of chapter 8 is, is a rebuttal to those committees in our brains when we start to think about that there is no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. And this is in your notes as well. Number one, Paul asks this, if God is for us, who can be against us? So catch here that Paul is saying, he's acknowledging that there are people that may be against you, whether intentional or unintentional. That there's someone or something that might be against you. And that person or persons or organization or whatever it may be, their negative and critical constant barrage will come at you. They are against you. It could be your parents. It could, have, it could be toxic friends in your life. It could be a spouse. It could be just the culture in general, how you feel as a Christian, that, that, that there's so much against me telling me that I don't measure up and that, you know, I, I'm just never going to be good enough. I want you to see that in Paul's question, he says, there are people against you, but God is for you. Did you catch that? And if God is for you, which one is bigger? 
This is the participation part. Which one is bigger, God or others? Awesome. Good answer. And you know, that applies whether you had an excellent week or a terrible week. It applies if you're a new Christian or just kind of like a bored, stale, older Christian. It applies if you're going bald, if you're overweight, if you're perfectionistic on the outside or you look terrible on the outside. It applies if you have tattoos. It applies if you don't have any tattoos. It applies if you're in your prime or if you're kind of like on the worn-out version of life. It applies if you're well-healed and you got everything you need or you're, or you're just struggling week by week. If God is for you, who can be against you? So stop letting people override what God says about you. He is for you. Number two, second question. Will he not also graciously give us all things? Will God not also give us all things? Can you imagine looking at Jesus on the cross, being there and saying, you know, that is awesome that you died for me, but it's really not enough. I just need a little more. And the world has been telling me I need a little more. Can you imagine that? That, that is reprehensible. Whether what you need is some carnal thing or worldly thing or whether you've generated a spiritual thing that you need that makes you feel less than as a Christian because you don't have it and somebody told you you needed it. You feel less than. But Paul says, when you have that condemning voice of feeling like you don't have what it takes, remember that God has given you all things. We wear, we wear crosses like decorations and jewelry today, but it's a, it's a symbol of humiliation, an example of the extent that God will go to be with us, as we talked about last week, God's presence in our lives, and about how God will bear our sin in order that there will be no condemnation. And you know, that's true of even if you have everything that you think you need. If you, sometimes this, this thought of the, the thoughts of the, of the world or our culture is saying, you know, you don't have enough, it can, it can feel like condemnation, and um, you can feel like, well, if I truly follow Christ, I'm just going to have to give up so much stuff. And that... That kind of condemnation keeps us in bondage to materialism and it gives us anxieties about financial security and about our relationships. If you're feeling that kind of condemnation, I, I want to point out that God has given you all things. He didn't just give his life on the cross. He's given you everything that you need. And faith in Christ is not a life of scarcity. It's a life of abundance. And even if you have a lot, you will cherish what you have even more with the realization that God has given you all things. Question three. Who condemns or accuses those whom God has chosen? Again, once again, Paul is acknowledging that there are people who accuse and condemn. And the answer is this. I want to put the verse up on the screen Romans 8.33, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, 
and is also interceding for us. And this is a beautiful picture. And the, the, Paul's listeners would totally have gotten this because the poor and the, uh, the ostracized have no power in a courtroom. This is a courtroom scene. And as they stood before magistrates and judges, you know, those with the power held it over them so that they had no answer. Even if they were falsely accused, they were just kind of dispensed with. And the picture here in the middle of, of, of this accu accusation and condemnation that comes in this courtroom, Paul gives them a picture that the king comes in and says, I've chosen this person. This is my son or my daughter. And so the king walks up and stands with them. They go from powerless to having all the power in the universe when it comes to our sin. And then he uses the word, not just chosen, but he uses the word interceding, which is like Jesus is our lawyer. So God the Father shows up, and he, he says, this is, this is one of my boys right here. And Jesus says, uh, and I'm his lawyer. So um, who's going to condemn and who's going to accuse? That's the scene. And one uh, commentary I read kind of pictured it like this, that while people on earth are condemning and accusing Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding. That is, he's bragging about us to the Father. Picture that. Lastly, if you struggle with the no condemnation promise, Paul asks, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Again, verse 38, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, like, with that list, does it sound like there's, like a, there's a chink in the armor somewhere, or does it sound like this is an iron-tight thing? What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. You guys need to give me some feedback every once in a while, like you do the worship team, you know? That's kind of like saying sick them to a dog. Help a brother out. <laughs> but here's the thing. You know, some of you, even when I say that, you're going, okay, that's But this is a biggie. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Can I go back to the original promise? There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. It, it, you know, through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, Paul writes no condemnation, right? He doesn't write limited condemnation. He doesn't write appropriate condemnation. And he doesn't write calculated condemnation. He says there's no condemnation. So whatever your list is, whatever the thing is that you think are your issues, if you've acknowledged them, what do you say we just like put these where they're supposed to be in the trash? Well, will you be for that? Because Paul promised that there is no condemnation. Now, is there anyone that wants to dumpster dive and get yours back out? You want to take them back? Yeah, me neither. 
The question is, are we going to trust God for this one? I mean, the whole series that we're talking about in the promises of God is whether we're really going to stand on that promise. So here is, I have a suggestion for you. This week, just for this week, let's, let's live our lives. Let's decide. Let's make choices. Let's, let's, let's treat people in a way that stands on the promise that there's no condemnation for us. And let's look at other people through that same lens. You willing to do that? I'm going to do it. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Now, I'm going to pray, but I know that there's some of you that like, you're like right up against the edge of faith in many ways. You've never really just kind of like thought this through to the point that you, that you accept by faith God's word on that. And I want to encourage you to do that. And there's no magic words, but I would just encourage you to say, today, God, I place my faith in Jesus Christ because through him, there's no condemnation. And if you want to really change your life from then on, it's like maybe you're not a person that's been coming to church regularly. You don't even know what it's like really to live a Christian life and you, you, you took a big risk coming here today or maybe you've been coming for a while. I want to encourage you to make some life-changing decisions besides that prayer of faith. Because if you really want it to stick and you, and you want to experience everything that God has for you, come to church as often as you can. Be here. I know it's a new habit for many of you, but be here to be encouraged by worshiping and being taught the Word of God. And invite your friends and t take your story that God has changed you and you're living under no condemnation and share the gospel, share your experience with them. And eventually when you get brave enough, you should link arms in this church because this church is all about sharing this message of hope with our community and around the world. Step up and do something here and serve the Lord. And then if you really believe in what God is doing here, start to give and support what's happening here. And together as a church, that message will not only resonate more, deeper and deeper in us, but we'll touch others with that message as well. Let's pray.